you make your way back. All right. Well, let me share a couple things before we get started uh, this morning, and uh, we're going to start through this new series this morning, and I know uh, for some of you as you walked in, uh, you're, you're thrown again on the chair arrangement uh, this morning, but uh, there's a couple reasons we wanted to do this, that this series you're going to find for the next four weeks is, is very personal, meaning that we can't accomplish what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks without being relational people, relational Christians. So if you're a Christian that what you really like to do with your Christianity is just kind of kind of sit and be taught um, and be anonymous, um, that doesn't work so well in what we're going to talk about the next four days. And we knew this arrangement would cause you to have to kind of see people. You have to kind of look at people. Um, there's even a little bit of an awkwardness with it that comes, right? Now, when we move into the new church, this will be similar, except for we'll have a raised platform so you can look up, um, and you don't have to look eye contact with each other, so we won't freak you out in the new building. Um, but we wanted during this series to be relational. We also wanted uh, that feel of walk across this room. That's what the series is all about, and uh, we, we're kind of walking across each other in this kind of setup. You could even feel it during the greeting time, and so that was, uh, that was part of it uh, as well. Uh, so for the next four weeks, we're going to kind of be very relational and intimate in our setup and what we talk about. And then the Easter, uh, we're looking to just blow it out one big service here. We'll go back to our normal setup style, uh, and our, our goal is add a few more roll, rows to it, and, uh, and uh, we'll have a good Sunday. Um, Pastor Anson talked about uh, Easter invites, and we've had many of these cards made up. This is a tool for you to be able to use, not only for Easter, but for any time. You'll know they're, they're fairly generic as far as the invitation goes, um, not just for Easter Sunday. So take as many of those uh, as you want, and you can use those. He mentioned the Walk Across the Room series. Those start as soon as this afternoon. I think 4 o'clock is our first one, um, and there's groups that are happening uh, tonight, Monday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, um, all throughout the week we're, we're putting these groups together. And uh, so we'd love for you to join one of those. It's a four-week. So if you've like done a small group before and you're like, ah, man, my schedule just for small groups or um, whatever it is, four weeks to jump back into a study group and to walk through this. I think it'd be well worth it uh, for you. So um, we're going to jump into this, this series, and I want to say for some of you, this is going to be challenging. Um, for some of you, it's going to be challenging, not because you're anti this. In fact, most of you, you wouldn't be anti what we're talking about at all. It's just hard for you to do. And so we're going to talk through it, and we're really together, we're going to kind of train and help each other out on this subject matter. And the title of this series for four weeks is called Just Walk Across the room. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to jump into it. Lord, thank you for this morning. We thank you just for the opportunity, Lord, to jump into a series that will challenge us. It will push us a little bit, but it is at the heart of who you are uh, as our God and as our Savior uh, for us, your children, to be about this. And so help us, Lord. Uh, fill us with, with your Spirit. Empower us to be about uh, the work of your kingdom as it specifically uh, as it connects with what we're discussing over the next four weeks. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Um, 10,000 steps. 
Did you know that? That's about your average day. Any of you do uh, like the little stepper that you keep track of over the course of the day? Yeah, about 10,000 steps is about average. I know some of you like right now go 10,000, 12,000 a day, you know, you're an overachiever, but it's 10,000 a day is about the average day for somebody. That's roughly 115,000 miles over the course of your lifetime. Um, now, some of you, I know you binge watch on Netflix all day Saturday, so you're going to have to throw out one day a week, um, do the math and that. I don't know how that works. That's like four times around the planet. With that said, I want to ask you one question. Are you using your steps wisely? Are you using your steps wisely? Uh, assume the average distance across like most rooms is, is about what we've set up here. It's about 20 feet, right? That's about 10 steps across a room. And the question I hope for us to answer this morning in this series is, what if this, what if 10 steps, like one one thousandth of your day, 10 steps, like actually could affect, impact someone's eternity? That's what we're talking about. That's a picture I'd like you to get. So there was a, a gentleman that tells a story. He tells a story about how he came to know Jesus Christ. Uh, he was a Muslim. Um, he was a black Muslim. And he was in a, a business-type world where he was required often to be in these social settings, in these social parties, and he hated it. Because he always could tell that he was a bit of an outcast in the social settings. And this happened just week after week and month after month for years in his occupation. So one particular day he was at a party and he showed up and did like the pleasantries that you're supposed to do. You know, you walk in, how are you, how are you, how are you, you were all good. And then everyone kind of ended up getting in the areas that were more comfortable for them to be in. His was often alone, maybe in the corner, maybe against the wall, maybe with a plate of food, but his was often to the side alone. And as he was sitting there, staring uh, across and looking at a group of people that were enjoying one another and laughing a little bit and seemingly telling stories, maybe business-related or otherwise, he locked eyes with one gentleman. And it was awkward for a second. It became much more awkward when that gentleman put down his plate, left his circle, and started to walk across that room, seemingly towards this gentleman. Sure enough, he walked all the way across the room and stopped in front of this man, and he said to this man, hi, my name's so-and-so, and And they began a conversation. Now, it started, as you might have guessed, with, you know, what what do you do? Oh, yeah, where do you work? Oh, how long have you been there? Business pretty good? Those type of, of interactions. Eventually, though, even in a short period of time, they stumbled on the issue of faith, and the man said, well, I'm Muslim. And the gentleman that had walked across the room said, okay, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. And he, then he said, hey, I'm, I have to be honest, I really don't know anything about Muslim or about Islam. Would you be up forever just having a cup of coffee and like walking me through what the basic belief system is of Islam? And the guy was just a little floored that somebody would walk out of their comfort circle, walk across the room to somebody standing alone and then engage in this type of conversation. Well, they had that coffee, and they started to engage and talk. And for weeks, it was the Muslim gentleman sharing about his faith. But one day, the Muslim gentleman asked, can you tell me a little bit about Christianity? And from that day forward, 
the gentleman that had walked across the room shared about his faith. He shared about how Jesus had come into his life. He shared about how his life had dramatically changed, how he never would have ever dreamed he could have even held on to a job long enough to be a successful businessman if it hadn't been for the transformation of Christ in his life. And the more he shared about this and shared about his, his wife who knew the Lord and his kids who he now felt the responsibility about sharing Jesus with, eventually, one day, this Muslim gentleman, on his own, remembering the conversations, got down on his knees at night and he asked Jesus to come into his life. They had coffee again and the gentleman that had walked across the room was blown away and, and fell into immediate tears hearing the testimony of this man coming to know Jesus Christ. Where did that begin? I mean, think about what, what if redirecting somebody's forever was as simple as just walking across a room? That's how it began. Uh, think about this story again. So this man himself, he found himself in a social setting, the one that walked across the room, right? He found himself in what I, I have heard called this circle of conversational comfort. Have you ever heard of it? If you haven't heard of it, I mean, you know it right away, right? Conversational comfort. So he's involved with this group, in which it was easy for him to relate to, and it was kind of effortless, right, for him to engage in conversation. Do you know what I'm talking about? And when you walked in this morning, did you look for this circle right away to, to find this circle? There's like zero threat that anything risky or unsafe is going to unfold, and, uh, and we stay in this in this circle. Why? Because it is comfortable. This is a place we've all enjoyed at one point or another, maybe even today already. Yet what's interesting in the story is that the fact that one man was standing by himself, one man was not part of this circle, uh, that this disrupted this, this person's world enough that he felt the need to stride across the room. It's as if like he heard the Holy Spirit saying to him, hey, why don't you just get up? Why don't you just go over there? Strike up a little conversation. And why don't you just see where it goes and see if something happens? Maybe the guy just needs a word of encouragement. You know, maybe he just needs a, a friend for the day and we could just leave it at that. But who knows? Who knows what might could come from it? If one is like the circle of comfort, then the opposite would be the zone uh, of the unknown. See what I did there? Zone of the unknown. It kind of rhymes together. Yeah, thank you, Tyler. Appreciate that. Yeah. You impressed? Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. I'll confess I stole that. It's not my own. This is like foreign territory for us. This is foreign. Because it's not comfortable. It's not normal for us. I mean, this guy, he had no idea what would happen when he stuck his hand out to this Muslim gentleman. I mean, he had no idea where the conversation was going to go. And he had no idea if there would even be conversation in the first place, right? He was uncertain what this individual's reaction was going to be, but he was committed. When you lock eyes and you start walking across the room, you're kind of committed at that point. So he left this circle of comfort. He walks by faith across the room. He resolves he's going to walk into the zone of the unknown, and he's just going to see what God is going to do. I'm going to be honest with you. I would like God to have already spelled out in clear detail what is going to happen after I walk across the room, because therefore it would be much easier for me to determine whether I'm actually going to walk across the room or not. 
but this man just ventured out. This is, this is an impactful story. I heard this story, I read this the first 12 years ago, and when I read this, um, this one like resonated with me, it connected with me in a sense that I don't grow tired of this story or even sharing this story. And I wonder, what is it about this one story? Here's what I think it is. I've concluded that the power of this story is it gives a very simple view of personal evangelism. That, that it says this is not something for the pastors or the leaders or for the classroom trained people. You don't need a 10-step program for this. That it boils it down to something so incredibly simple that every single spirit-guided Christian can do this. And not only do this, but they could do it with like, like crazy effectiveness. That's what I've concluded on a simple story just like this. So here's what I want to do in the next few minutes. I want you to understand that like, it is Jesus Christ who actually models this. That it was Jesus himself that showed us this in the first place, this walking across the room. Um, and he doesn't just call us to do it. He actually modeled it himself for us. So take a look at this scripture from John chapter 6. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Which means at a certain point in history, it was Jesus Christ himself, he left like this, this incredible fellowship with the Trinity, right? With God the Father, the Holy Spirit in heaven. You know, they're, they're, they're there together interacting with community. They're known as an us in the book of Genesis, that he leaves this, he steps across space and time, right? And Jesus actually decided to step towards the ungodly, to step towards us. He endured the worst of what the world had to offer. And he did this with love and he did it with forgiveness. I mean, think about this. Like giving your life for somebody like noble, right? Or somebody you deeply love like a family member, that's one thing. But Jesus here, he lays it down for all of us. For the ones out there that think you're pretty good and the ones that don't think you're worth anything. That was the stance he walked across. It's a pretty undeserving, unexpected move to say the least. And so today the correlation for us is really needs to be revolutionary for Christ's followers. It's this. We take walks across rooms because he took the ultimate walk across a room. You ever wondered why God would go to such lengths to show his love for us? Well, you're in good company. Um, even those closest to Jesus had these questions. They would ask him uh, about this. And so just to clear it up, Christ said it this way in Luke chapter 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Like, that's it. That, that was his key mission and his focus. People were his number one priority, is what we learn in Scripture. He loved people. He was obsessed with people. And he still is. And so, we're called to do that. Jesus was obsessed with people who were sick, who were lonely, the wandering, the, the depressed, the hopeless. People who got themselves like tangled up in, in these suffocating habits or maybe these destructive lifestyle Jesus loved these people. Um, do you remember the story in John chapter 8 that, that Jesus uh, tells? He, he appears in the temple, and he's set to teach the crowd. 
And the, everyone had gathered there. There's a group of Pharisees. Remember, they were religious leaders. We talked a little bit about those last week. Um, they arrive on the scene and they have drugged this woman in who apparently had lived a, a, a pretty colorful past and had just been a caught in the act of adultery. And she's put in front of them. I mean, she is on display, her worst sin, right? Apparently she just committed and there she is on display. Not fun time for her. Now, uh, remember, adultery is a pretty serious offense. In fact, uh, keeping with God's law from the days of Moses, Jesus had every right to, to say, yeah, let's stone this lady. I mean, stone. Like, I mean, we got nothing to, nothing to do about taking marijuana here. You know what I'm talking about? This is, this is full-blown on the ground with rocks being hurled at you. Stoned. I mean, death. That's what's happening here. Seems harsh. That was the Jewish law. So Jesus is in a bind here, right? Um, The Pharisees probably were loving it. If he lets the woman off the hook, then he's denying the law. It's a heretic. But if he says, let's go ahead and carry out the law, the Jewish law, well, he's an enemy of the Roman government because that was one thing the Roman government said, no, you're not going to push the bounds on this with your religious freedom here. Um, Only them could hand out a death sentence. Do you remember with Jesus, why he went back and forth uh, there, why this, the Sadducees and the Pharisees pushed for Pilate to be the one that tried Jesus, and that is because it was only the Roman government that could hand out that death sentence. But Jesus' reaction is amazing. Chapter 8, verse 7. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And Jesus is basically saying, all right, let's do it. Let's stone this, this girl. She deserves it. Let's go for it. Here's what we're going to do, though. A little bit of order. Um, we're going to line up, and those of you who haven't sinned, um, then you get to go first. So get your rocks, get your stones together. Um, you get the front of the line. You get the privilege. And we find that their plan is wrecked. And as they start to process what Jesus is saying here, that they realize they themselves are not without sin. And they drop their rocks, and one by one, they just walk away and they're done. So it's Jesus alone left with this woman who maybe for the first time in her life has experienced this grace and this forgiveness, right? And though he had the right to condemn her based on the rules that they just laid out, he chose a different route. Here's what he says. John chapter 8, starting in verse 10. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Listen, church, is there any better picture of the heart of God? Is there any better picture of what God is about and how he loves us? The heart that invites somebody into freedom instead of indictment. That without excusing the woman's sinful activities, I mean, this is what Jesus is actually saying. Everyone has taken some wrong turns. Everyone's in need of forgiveness and redemption and healing. Everyone needs to know the love that only my Father can provide him. That's why I came. That's what Jesus is talking about, is his mission. Listen, church, today, when you love people, I mean, when you serve people, when you point people back to faith in Christ, when you like redirect wayward people or restore broken people or develop people like into like the peak of their, their spiritual potential, this is what you're doing. You are reaffirming your understanding of your primary mission on this earth because it was Jesus' primary mission. 
Um, Do you understand what I'm saying? That's your primary mission on this earth when we love and restore people. I want you to know something this morning, church, something personal for me. I want you to know I really believe this message. Like this message of redemption, like I really, really believe it. Like I don't just preach it, I believe that. I believe that if every single wayward person, every single person that doesn't know Christ, that if they came to know the grace and the redemption and the love of Christ, that their life would be vastly better than a life without God. Listen, I'm not talking about just behavioral modifications. If they would just start behaving better, it probably would bring some better life. I'm talking about the love and grace and redemption of our Savior that they would live a vastly, vastly better life. You may be one of those people this morning. I want, I want you to know, if you are, I believe this stuff for you, that your life would be impacted, would be vastly better with the grace and the redemption of Jesus Christ. I believe this, church. Do you believe it? Do you believe this? I read this week about a man who never shares his faith with anyone. It was an interview I was reading, a transcript. And the author of the article, which he it was, it thought it was an interesting comment, so he asked the guy a little bit about why. Here's the man's answer. I would never want to inflict the burden of God on anyone. Wow. Like, that's not at all the God I know. The God I know, like, he came into my life with, like, this love and acceptance and grace when I was 17 years old, and he launched me on this journey of being in in the ministry and called to his mission, a journey that I don't want to come off of. I haven't come off of. I have no expectation of it anytime soon coming off this. So here's the question I want you to ponder this morning as as we continue on. Who is the God you know? Who, who is he? The God you know, the God you claim. Who is he? Pastor Bill Hybels once asked his congregation at Willow Creek Community Church this, this series of questions. Is the God you know full of grace and mercy and compassion? Is the God you know mysterious and surprising, captivating? Is he forever unchanging yet always brand new? Does he inspire you with his big ideas about how your life can really count? Is he faithful? In my experience, the people who find themselves taking walks across the room have first landed on this idea that the God they know is worth knowing. And so because of it, they say, well, of course everyone would want to know God. Everyone would want to know the God that I experienced. Everyone would want to know the grace and the redemption that I have experienced in God. I'm absolutely sure that the love of God would be something that would vastly change their life. That's people that start to take walks across the room. Look, Wendover Hills, if we've been wrecked by God's love— if we've been wrecked by the new life that God has given us in Christ, I want us to live in this expression of our great God, then let's do this. Let's just crank up our boldness and introduce as many people as we can to relationship with the loving God that we have experienced. That's what we're called to do. That's what God desperately wants us to do, is to offer people his grace. Listen, friends, this is the biggest gift we have to offer as believers in Jesus Christ. 
Have you considered this gift? I mean, is this a precious gift to you? Is it a precious gift for you to give to somebody this gift of redemptive love through Jesus Christ? Or has it only been kind of a self-gift for you? Something that has made a little bit of impact on your life, that has made your life a little bit more comfortable than it used to be, and you only think about it internally. Dr. uh, Gilbert Bazilkian, who was a professor at Trinity College, where I uh, coached baseball for a number of years, he told his class once this, throughout the course of your life, you're going to give your life to something. You will. All people do. They give their lives to pleasure or to possessions, to the attainment of popularity or to the acquisition of more power, but always to something. So here's the question. What have you given your life to? What have you given your Christianity to, your Christian walk to, your mission to? What's one of the great somethings that you're living for? I remember a time in my ministry early on when I, like, I was faced with this this question. Was I really concerned for other people or was I kind of hiding my self-interest behind the face of ministry? I want to say that again. Was I hiding my self-interest behind the face of ministry? Jesus's passion was people. And what each of us, I think all of us, have found and we could agree upon this morning is that many, many people that we've come in contact with, they faced a Christless eternity. Many people, many people that we love dearly and we interact with daily face a Christless eternity. We face people who are, uh, who are ostracized or isolated or helpless They seek and they seek and they haven't found. People who are living for achievements that don't fulfill or accolades that never satisfied or, you know, that next paycheck or money amount that will never really bring the happiness that they expect. So I want to approach life like Jesus did. Bill Hybels went on to explain it this way. The mind of Christ hadn't been consumed by business gains or money or fame but instead was endlessly focused on one thing, people. Those who were lost and found, young and old, rich and poor, sought after and rejected. Never has anyone displayed such a prodigious obsession with people as Jesus did. I mean, church, do you realize that the call of, his, of this uh, people-obsessed Jesus, what, what his call is for us, It's simply that we ourselves, we ourselves would be a people who are obsessed with other people. We are obsessed with telling people about the love and redemption of Christ. And this is so important for us to understand and to get that the call of the people-obsessed Jesus is for his followers to be people-obsessed as well. And true followers of Christ who really get this in their lives, they understand things. And and most importantly, they understand this, that they give themselves to pointing people to faith in Christ. That's the highest use. The best calling of our life is what Jesus is teaching us. To have our, our life as kind of a signpost that points people to faith in God. So, friends, if we really believe in this redeeming and transforming power of God's present, then the single greatest gift is that we would introduce and give people 
is an explanation of how to be rightly connected with Jesus Christ. It's as, as this, as Jesus had said this this morning, listen to these words. What I did was, as I walked across the expanse of heaven and earth all those years ago, I now want you to do. Every day, try to point every person you meet to me. Live as though you actually believe that your family, your coworker, your neighbor would be better off if they knew my father. If they were on the receiving end of his counsel, his wisdom, his guidance. It's like Jesus is, is pleading with us to become people who walk across the room as we're led and as we follow him. Seizing every opportunity God wants to give us that we might share Christ. I wanted to do something this morning just so we, we understood. I wonder this morning if you came to Windover Hills— by invitation. Somebody invited you to come to the church. Do you mind just standing up for a second for me? Like you didn't see the wonderful sign I have out on the road that's flapping in the wind today and looking kind of miserable. Um, But somebody like invited you to come to church. Yeah. And you came. Yeah. Good number of you. Now, it could have been way back. could have been three years ago. I'm not talking about this morning. You know, you didn't get invited. Thanks, you guys can sit down. Um, so look at it. I mean, as, as we go right there, I mean, closer to 40 to, 40 to 50% of you, or 40% or so, came by invitation. I would guess at some point in our life, if I said, who invited you into a relationship with Christ, or who invited you into the place where you became a Christian? Somebody invite you. That number would probably shoot up into the 90 plus percent, because that's what happens. God doesn't want to use signs. He doesn't care a whole lot about mailers. Sometimes they're effective, I guess. He's not interested in huge events. He's interested in his people going out and sharing. So when we choose to live this way, we're really living by faith, not, not sight, because we don't know what God's going to do. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 7, by the way, when we take these walks. So let me say again this morning, the single greatest gift you can give somebody is an introduction to the God who asked his son to do the unthinkable distance, to go the unthinkable distance to redeem us. When you find, church, that your greatest preoccupation, when when you find that it is people, you're going to find that when Jesus says, take a walk across that room, take a trip across your, your, your office, Go into that restaurant, go up a flight of stairs, go into that crowded room, step into that zone of the unknown out of your circle of comfort, you're going to be ready. You're going to be ready to leave that circle and go where he is leading you because you're going to remember the fact that Jesus once crossed an entire universe to rescue you. And so today, uh, Wendover Hills, uh, Christ followers, I think Jesus says this to you. Reflect my love and repeat my action. That's the whole focus of this series, is that we would have a passion and our hearts would be turned on to the idea of, of not, I don't, you know, we don't need 120 of you guys down on the street corner in Greensboro chanting and, and waving signs. If the Lord has so called you to do that, then bless you um, and have a great time. I probably won't be with you. Um, so this week uh, in a, a pastor's conference, kind of indirectly, or at least the, the subject came up about changing our world, changing our world. 
and we could change our world, and just a few could change our world. And you know what God put on my heart? I don't know anything about going out and changing our world. But what I want to see at Windover Hills, especially through this series, I want to release 170 people to go out and make a godly impact on their sphere of influence. Wherever God has put you, whatever workplace he's put you in, whatever gym setting, whatever sports league, whatever bowling league, whatever book club, wherever he has put you, go there and reflect the love of Christ. Not simply in your behavior, though I hope you do. Not simply in your joy, though, oh, the, the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? But that God would open up conversations that you can speak to them about Jesus Christ. And so I want to pray for you this morning to that end. Would you bow? Father, I, I, I know it's, it's in your word. I know it, it's, it's hard for us to disagree, any Christian, that your word calls us to go and to, to share who you are. And Lord, I even know this morning that your releasement to share that is just simply through relationships and using what you've already put in our path. Lord, that you're, you're not asking us to just go knock on doors of people that we don't know. That Lord, that you have said, just use the relationships. Walk across the room. And Lord, this morning, I, I believe that loud and clear, there's enough people in this room, I know I'm one, that you already like tapped on their heart and said, hey, I've got a couple rooms for you to walk across. And you know, you know where. God's already put them in your place. In fact, he might have nudged you to walk and you said, uh-uh. So this could be the week that you follow God on that. And it's not necessary that God is saying, hey, walk across the room and start preaching a sermon. In fact, he's probably asking you not to do that. He's saying, hey, walk across the room and start a conversation and see if they might need, just need some encouragement. A little bit of love a little bit of connection and fellowship. And who knows? Who knows what God wants to do from there on? But it's got to start with the walk. So Lord, we're praying for endless number of testimonies, even in this group right here in squared off chairs, you would send us out this week. That we would come back and we'd gather next week and we'd enjoy the fellowship and the worship. But the thing we're going to enjoy the, the most next week, Lord, would be the testimonies of saying, hey, this week I, I walked across this room. Let me tell you what happened. So Lord, bless it. Send your spirit out in front of us. Empower us already to do this. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, in a group this size, it's hard to, it's hard to sit around and like do like one-on-one training on how to do this or, or to talk through uh, these type of things. Um, that's what our study groups are for. And so we want to encourage you, as I, I've tried to encourage everyone to try to get in one for four weeks. And so would you use that card now? Just mark on the back. Uh, like I said, some start today, so we can get you that information as soon as now. Um, but even if you say, well, hey, Tom, I can't get into today. That's a little too fast for our schedule. Three out of four weeks is much better than no weeks for something like this. So I want to encourage you, use that card. Would you mark on the back and then drop in the offering in just a second? Let me give you a quick building update on where we're at. Remember, we've been praying for that final step, and that is that Guilford County would give us the site approval. Once the site approval is done, we can have a pre-construction meeting. Um, attentively, that's scheduled for tomorrow, the, the pre-construction uh, meeting. Um, 
we did hear from Guilford uh, County on Tuesday, and basically everything but uh, two, little, two items they asked us to kind of go back and redraw. They wanted additional trees in the parking lot, um, so we needed to draw some more trees. Um, we had kind of some shrubbery and, and uh, flower, I don't know what we had in there, but it wasn't what they wanted. So uh, a couple trees in each little island. So we went back, and, and I say we. I had nothing to do with it. Our civil engineer drew that in for us. And then there was a, a one little slope that they felt like it was a little too steep for the water runoff, so they wanted that shaved to, to uh, have less steepness, Is I guess. I don't know. Um, so we had our civil engineer uh, draw that too. And so that went back in on Wednesday morning. Um, we kind of pushed for uh, an immediate approval. It's two names that need to sign off. So, um, and uh, as of Friday, end of day, we hadn't heard anything on that. So, um, so that's where we're at. It, it looks like we're now down to just two signatures that needed to approve the trees that we drew and the slope that, that we shaved off. So um, that, does that not give you specific way to pray now this week? So, but that's it. Um, so as soon as that happens... Um, we're launching out into uh, into uh, uh, into actually breaking ground. So, um, so I will let you know when the lawn chair and Slurpee Day arrives that you can be sitting there and we can all redneck together on that street and have a great day looking at bulldozers. It's going to be outstanding. Well, let's invite our, our ushers if you guys would come and take up uh, the.